Welcome to this week's Energy Show. On this week's show, we're talking about the future design of our electric grid. Now, besides our country's political system, our electric grid is one of the most complicated systems that has ever been built. Luckily, unlike our political system, the electrical system works really well. However, because there's new technologies that are out there, they're starting to be deployed, customers are putting them in, that are going to require changes to our electric system to take advantage of these new technologies. For example, rooftop solar, battery storage, electric vehicles, new software and controls. So these technologies are, are kind of finding their way slowly into the grid, and there's potential to do this much more thoroughly. Now, in order to understand that, let's talk a little bit about the current grid design. Now, we have a centralized generation system, centralized power plants that are sending power to customers basically in two steps. And this is the way the system's been working for over 100 years. I mean, you know, the very first power plant, all right, it was outside the city. It was running with on coal and big wires going to the, the businesses and homes that had electric lights. And then we started putting together a system that had two steps. And AC current made that possible because we were able to have high voltage, long distance transmission lines that were sending power long distances. These are those big towers that you see. The reason why you have those big towers running at high voltages is when you run at a high voltage, you can send the same amount of power with less current. And so the wires can be smaller. These power lines, high voltage power lines, 10,000 volts, much higher than that sometimes. All right. Then we have low Local distribution systems, these are the utility poles, those wooden poles that are you know, all over our society and now that sometimes they're buried underground. These are running at lower voltages, like 480 volts. And that's called a local distribution system. And this whole system works with a top-down communication system. There's something called the transmission system operator or the Cal ISO here in California. They're managing the transmission and then the transmission information and the transmission power is sent to the local grid operators, the distributed system operators. These are basically your utilities. And those utilities are sending the power to the businesses and homes and to the substations between that are needed. So you have centralized generation and we've got a system where you go from transmission system operators to distribution system operators down to the businesses and homes that use the power. And that works but it doesn't work with this new technology. It's just very cumbersome. When you start to put a new technology there, customers that have solar and battery storage, for example, you have distributed generation, and that's what we call solar behind the meter, battery storage behind the meter. This, these are systems that are kind of a little bit opaque to the utility. They don't really know exactly what's going on. They just basically see a customer using less power, or in some cases, they see a customer sending power back to them. That's not the way the system was originally designed, but it's got some tremendous benefits. So when you have power going upstream through the grid, you can send that power to a neighbor, to a neighboring business, and you don't need to generate that power centrally. So you, you save a lot of money, you save a lot of generating capability. Unfortunately, it's not the way the utilities, the dis distribution system operators have operated their system. But the benefit is customers can decide where they get their electricity from, how they want to operate their solar and storage, and that works out more efficiently for the customers, the ratepayers. Now, you also have a lack of communications of what's going on with these systems behind the meter at, at businesses and homes out to the utility. The utility kind of has no idea what's going on. So why do we want to change this grid design, this top-down 
centralized generation, long distance transmission, and local distribution design. Well, basically, if we take advantage of the new technology, we can have a cheaper and more reliable grid. Solar and battery storage are cheaper for customers. It's cheaper for them to generate their own power than to get the power from utilities. They have backup power. There's a big benefit because if you have a battery, you got backup power for when the grid goes down. So more reliability and cheaper power. And you also have the potential to take advantage of these distributed energy resources, these things that are behind the meter, these car chargers, these air conditioning systems, hot water heaters. Not only with this future system can we turn these distributed energy resources on and off, but we can also modify the way they work to support the grid. So the solar inverters can operate in a way where they um, ride through uh, brownout conditions. They can operate in a way where they actually support the voltage or operate at a lower voltage based on what's needed. And there's some advantages to the grid. Now, unfortunately, for traditional utilities, this change towards using more distributed energy resources behind the meter assets means that they're going to build fewer power plants and fewer distribution facilities. And basically, they're going to make less money because the utilities make money when they have a lot of assets. So there's a lot of pushback from utilities as to how and why and where these new technologies are going to be deployed. Pushback in the way of, no, the utilities don't want incentives for, for these distributed energy resources or behind-the-meter resources. They don't want customer incentives for batteries. They don't want customer incentives for, for solar. Why? Because then they don't get to provide that power or they don't get to build those solar and storage assets. So it's kind of a challenge, and this is something that's been going on within the solar industry for years and years, 20, 25 years or so, and, and it's still continuing. Now, why should we kind of make these changes, and, and you know, what, what are some of the reasons why these changes aren't good? Well, a couple of reasons. First, although renewable energy, solar and wind, are cheap, they're not perfect. There's two problems with renewables and these things called distributed energy resources. Two problems from a utility standpoint, from a grid operator standpoint. The first is they're intermittent. So they don't provide power at night. They don't provide a lot of power if a cloud goes in front of the sun. And when you turn them off, you can't turn them back on instantly. They also don't moderate the power. So with the utility power plant, that, that, that gas turbine can operate at a higher level or a lower level, depending on the power needs. Whereas with solar power systems, basically you get as much power as the sun is shining. Wind system, you get as much power as the wind is blowing. So there's this intermittency and this lack of control. Now, batteries at solar systems, batteries, at wind generating systems, they can solve this problem partially, but then once again, you have the issue of who's going to own that battery asset. There's a tug of war there. Now, the other problem is with these distributed energy resources or behind the meter resources is from the utility standpoint, from the grid operator standpoint, they're hidden. They have no idea what's going on. They don't know how to control these assets because the system was designed for top-down control. And although, look, for example, these solar systems, these inverters, they can be controlled remotely, the utilities don't have the, the access to those. And certainly, you know, realistically, the customers, your homeowners, businesses, they don't want the utility kind of reaching into their solar system and turning it off when they don't need that power. So there's an issue there. So that has to get worked out. So while we're on the subject, let's talk about what's happening with these controls and communications. The world is very different now than it was 20 years ago. It's certainly 100 years ago when the system was designed. We have this thing called the internet. And we also have millions, billions of cheap sensors and control devices. There's the concept of the internet of things, IoT, kind of goofy. But basically, 
Every single solar panel optimizer or microinverter, every new home thermostat that's Wi-Fi connected, every EV charger, almost every new electric vehicle, every battery storage system can be controlled through the Internet. It's The Internet of Things is kind of finding its way into expensive appliances, and, and now it's finding its way into dirt cheap appliances. You can buy a light bulb, screw and light bulb, that has an Internet addressable address. You know, looking around... There's probably 500 million addressable power devices or more out there right now, soon to be a billion devices behind the meter at the grid's edge. Every single optimizer, every single microinverter, every single inverter over the last 10 years that's got that internet connection, light bulbs, thermosets, everything. So billion, it sounds like Carl Sagan, we're going to have billions and billions of these devices behind the meter that can be controlled if we had the right software and the right business models to control these things. So the electric power communication control of these grid devices is possible because the communication is built in. And when operated together, these grid edge devices become what, what we're now calling a virtual power plant. Now here's the vision of the grid of the future. We have existing power plants operating together with grid edge virtual power plants, and these grid edge virtual power plants are accessing all these little distributed energy resources. Now, let's look at an example of how this can work. Now, think about every summer, every spring, fall, we get really hot days, maybe five or 10 times a year. That's when the power demand peaks because people and businesses are running their air conditioning and they're running their regular business. And when that happens, the local power plants can't always meet that demand. And so we have a grid with transmission, long-distance transmission lines. So the transmission operators and the utilities import power from distant sources. For example, here in California, when it's on these really, really hot days, we know a few days in advance when it's going to happen. And the grid operators say, all right, we're going to go get some extra power from hydroelectric dams somewhere up in the Pacific Northwest. Or they may even be tapping some nuclear power plants that can crank out some more power you know, somewhere farther to the east. So that works out really well. The problem is, because of basic supply and demand economics, when there's high demand for anything like power, that power is more expensive. So just kind of some ballpark numbers here, but you know, let's say that, that utilities normally pay $0.03 cents or kilowatt hour for electricity from solar or maybe $0.04 cents from gas. But if they need that peak power maybe five times a year for two hours... They may be paying a dollar a kilowatt hour for that power. It's ridiculously high. Obviously, they don't pass that on to customers. So what happens is, if there's a way to reduce that really ridiculously high peak cost, I mean, it could cost utilities millions and millions of dollars when they need those peaks. And the alternative is they could tap into local battery storage systems. They can go to these little solar power plants at businesses and homes. They can go to even smaller power sources from batteries in cars and homes. They can tap into that. Or... They can reduce the electricity demand by sending out commands to business and residential thermostats saying, hey, raise the temperature a little bit. You know, Stop cooling your, your business down to 75 degrees. Only cool it down to 85 degrees for that 20-minute period, and you're going to have less demand. Or there may be a command that goes out and says, you know, all those electric vehicle chargers that are out there, instead of charging those cars at 10 kilowatts, Charge them at 3 kilowatts for 15 minutes or an hour while we have this peak. It has a potential to tremendously reduce the demand on the grid. So the economic case for these virtual power plants tapping into this network of distributed energy resources is really compelling. So why don't we compensate these grid edge customers? Why don't we compensate businesses and homes with batteries? Why don't we compensate businesses that are running car chargers for their employees? 
instead of paying ridiculously high amounts for power. It's much cheaper to use these existing grid assets, even though they're not formally assets of the utility or the transmission operators, but let's say that these assets of the, of the customers, much cheaper than business as usual. It could be like a, a win-win for everybody. Part of the dilemma is the current top-down control and communication model that we have doesn't work. Now, our model works really well for a thousand or a few thousand power plants around the country managed by a few hundred system operators. But this model doesn't work really well when you, you've got you know, a few hundred system operators that are trying to manage a billion tiny power plants, you know, a billion solar modules with, with optimizers on them, a billion car chargers and things like that. So we need another solution. And one good analogy for this solution is something called a layered system architecture. It kind of gets geeky, but this is how our telecommunication system operates. And we've evolved towards this over the past 50, 30, 40 years ago. Our telephone system used to be operated the same way. It was really centralized. There was wires just basically going from individual telephones up to switching offices, up to the central station. And then those central stations were connected with long-distance wires. That's how the telecommunication system used to work. It was called the plain old telephone system, or POTS. But then we implemented something called a layered system. And what happens is we have the components grouped in a hierarchical arrangement. So what happens is we have lower layers below, like the main layer, that provide functions and services that support the needs of the layers above. And you can have multiple layers. So you might have five or six layers. I don't know, I'm not exactly sure how many layers there are in the existing telecommunication system. But another example is this thing called TCPIP. It's the internet network. Now, you see on your computer, you're trying to get your darn printer to work, and it says TCPIP adjustments. You have to go into these dialog boxes. What TCPIP stands for is the Transport Control Protocol and the Internet Protocol. That's geek talk. But basically, the way that works is there's five layers in this TCPIP protocol. There's the application layer. There's the transport layer, there's the internet protocol IP layer, there's the network access layer, and the physical layer. So think about it, the physical layer. That's your computer, that's your printer. The network layer is the wires that's connecting everything together. The IP layer are the, the, the controls and the commands that are using that. The transport layer is above that. And then the application layer is the software that kind of runs the whole thing. So the potential to use the same layer concept for our electrical grid. So think about a system in which we have the transmission system system operator layer at the top. We already have transmission system operators, but they don't have this layer operation. And there's multiple transmission system operators, just like today's California ISO. So we've got that layer. And then below that, we have a distribution system operator layer that's multiple distribution system operators, like today's utilities. There are 3,000 big and little utilities all around the country. And the connection between the transmission system operator layer and the distribution system operator layer would be basically defining, only defining the function and services that need to go, need to be communicated between these two layers. So the transmission system operator really wouldn't care about what's going on at the, the layer below, this layer of behind the meter assets and distributed energy resources. So you'd have a TSO layer, transmission system operator, distribution system operator, utilities. Then you have the DER layer below the distribution, distributed energy resources below. That's all the microgrids, all the rooftop solar and everything else 
like that. And then even below that, those microgrids and rooftop solar layers, you're going to have a layer that could be the individual solar panels, the individual car batteries, that light bulb in your garage that you're only going to want to turn on when your car gets nearby. And that's going to have an impact on everything. So we can create that layered system and that would work. So there's a technical solution. It's worked for it's worked for the telecom industry, telephone industry. It's working for the computer industry. There's a way to do this if we make the changes, but there's still one big problem. So we have the technology worked out, but we have a business model issue. That's just not the way the grid operators do business. The transmission system operators work on the wholesale power level. They're regulated by FERC, the Federal Energy Regulatory Commission. And their customers are utilities. So these TSO organizations, the ISOs, are very heavily influenced by the way their utilities are currently operating. And the utilities or the grid system operators operate on their own retail level. They just care about hitting their profit targets for their investors. They make a profit by selling power and owning, generating, and transmitting and distribution assets. So they don't want to make a change. If they don't own these grid assets, they make less money. So the big barrier to implementing this isn't technology. It's the business model that has to change. So we need to change the business model. It's going to take time to do that. But the good thing is the existing assets are out there. These virtual power plants are out there. And so we're starting to see changes happen in two pockets with two motivating forces. First, it's where the public utilities commissions are forcing all market participants to adopt to this new model. So the PUCs are saying, hey, there's this new technology. There's this new model. Let's adopt that. There's pushback, obviously, from the, the utilities. Second, it's happening where independent utilities, and in some cases are these CCAs or community choice aggregation organizations that are taking advantages of these new technologies, of these new VPP resources to lower their costs. So, for example, why doesn't a CCA say, hey, instead of paying a ridiculous amount of a dollar a kilowatt hour for electricity when it gets really, really hot five times a year, let's just put a VPP in place and we'll tap into the resources that our customers have and pay our customers 50 cents a kilowatt hour. Everybody saves. So what do all these changes mean right now? How is it going to impact us right now? Well, the first New technologies surging into the electricity industry. We have new devices controlled via the internet. We have new software that's being developed, and there's new security issues. So the technology is coming out. The systems that we're that we are putting on the roof of our solar and battery storage customers have these control capabilities, have the software, have the security capabilities to resist, and things perfect to resist hacking. So that's great. Second. We're proving that these virtual power plants actually provide better customer service, better reliability, and lower costs. So that's out there. That's good. And the third, the customers are saying, hey, we want this. Businesses and homes want cheaper power. They want backup power. They want more reliability. They want to take advantage of these new capabilities. And finally, we can control electricity down to the individual appliance. So you think this is kind of crazy, but just think about how our heating systems have evolved, how we're controlling temperatures over the last 150 years. 150 years ago, if we were cold, we had to get out, get up, get out of bed, get off the couch, throw another log on the fire. 75 years ago, if we were cold, we could go over to our thermostat on our oil burner or our coal furnace and bump up the temperature a little bit. Now, if we're cold, we can push a button on our watch or our cell phone to bump up the temperature because our thermostat's now connected through the internet. You know, in the future, it's just starting to happen. These 
heating systems and cooling systems have some intelligence to know when we're sleeping. They know what time it is. They see there's no movement. There's, there's sensors. Or they know they can read our schedule from, from other source and they can say, hey, you know, you're, you're supposed to go to an appointment at 9 o'clock, so I'll start turning the temperature down at 8.45. And you're going to come home at 6 o'clock for dinner, so I'm going to turn the temperature up at 5.30. You don't even have to tell the system that, so it's great. So coming back to the needs of our business and consumer customers, solar and storage systems that your solar contractors are in installing right now have the ability to handle these future capabilities. There's communications, hardware, and software built in. They can connect to virtual power plants because the software and hardware is there in this layered system architecture. Unfortunately, the layered system architecture is not in place yet. It's starting to, to, to go together in a patchwork nature, but it's there. And, and the great news is we can provide our customers, contractors can provide our customers with additional economic benefits because the technology that's being deployed in the solar and storage industry has these capabilities. Okay, that's all the time we have on this week's Energy Show. Thanks to all of our listeners for tuning in. And if you missed any of today's show, you can go to our website at cinema.energy and listen to the podcasts.